Whether it was the ancient Greeks and Romans, or a modern training session in sports or business ethics, the issue of self-control walks to center stage. If you will only throw off the external chains of religious oppression and tradition and freely indulge your internal yearnings, you will be truly free. Taste and see that your passions are good. Dave Wurtzen, our Truth Encounter study leader, takes us today to Galatians 5.23 to discover what the Apostle Paul has to say about our inner need for self-control. The table's completely filled with food. You've already gone through the line one time around the table. There's turkey, there's the cornbread dressing, there's eastern dressing, there is incredible sweet potatoes, there are incredible mashed potatoes, there's giblet gravy, and it was made in heaven. And you've already had one plate, and you're sitting at the table, and you're cardiologist has told you that you need to watch your cholesterol. What do you do? It's in the fall. Your little girl has just started playing soccer, and you go to the soccer game, your dad's sitting up in the stands, and your little girl just gets smashed by the fullback on the soccer team as she goes in for a goal. She's fast, she's a good striker, and as she's breaking past the halfback, she gets the fullbacks, and they knock her down flat. This happens not just once, but the second time it happens again. He just totally body blocked her, doesn't go for the ball at all. You stand up in the stand of the dead, and you get ready to go out in the field, and you're ready to give the referee a piece of your mind, and what you need is some self-control. What do you do? What do you do? I've seen what some of you dads do. (laughs) I've seen what some of you moms do. Sometimes that's even worse. You go back uh, on Monday, this Monday, You arrive in your office, and you can tell as you walk into the inner sanctum of your office, as you walk by your secretary, that she's really down. She slowly gets up and comes to your office. She's young, she's beautiful, she's vulnerable, because she informs you that she just lost her dad over the Thanksgiving holiday. And so it's a time for a hug. How do you make sure that that hug stays a fatherly hug and doesn't step over the line? What is it going to take to control those passions that are deep within, that every one of you in this room are wrestling with, and that I wrestle with, that you wrestle with? We're going to need self-control. You know, whether it's the ancient Roman Greek world that Jesus was born into and that he lived in, or whether it's our own present day, the need for self-control walks to center stage in all of our light. It's the final fruit of the Spirit— And what I want you to realize is that basically there's a great tug-of-war over this issue of self-control. One side says that in order for you to have self-control, what you need to do is you need to face those passions inside. You need to come up with a disciplined list of things that you need to give up. For example, as we begin Lent as a Christian, what you need to do is you need to make a list of some of the intense pleasures that you have, the intense taste that you have, and you need to give them up, and you need to devote yourself to God, and you'll be showing by giving those things up, giving those tastes up, 
that you're honoring God. Now, the world responds to that, and often the media, the world responds to that by saying, no, that's not the answer at all. You don't need to control your passions. You don't need to give up your taste. What you need to do is you need to enjoy your taste. Taste and see that your desires are good. Sounds like an ancient message, doesn't it? Taste and see, not that the Lord is good, but taste and see that your desires are good. Well, let's take a look at, there's a movie called Chocolat that presents this scenario. We're in a small French town. The mayor of the town is wrestling with uh, the period of Lent, and we're going to give up, and a little temptation is thrown in, and it's in the person of someone that begins a chocolate candy store right at the beginning of Lent. Let's see what happens. Prepare to fire! Our hands on deck! Ready! Aim! Fire! Forgive the intrusion. It's a pleasure. Sorry, monsieur. Hmm. Pirate attack. Of course. What is your name? Anouk. What's yours? I am the Comte de Renault, at your service. A real one? Like the Count de Monte Cristo? Ah, he was not a real one. To what do we owe the honor of your visit? Well, as mayor of Lonscanet, I want to welcome you to the community and to invite you to worship with us at Mass on Sunday. That's very kind of you, but actually we don't attend. We're glad to be so near the church, though. Well, enjoy singing with the bells, won't we, Nuno? The bells are not intended as an entertainment, madame. They are a solemn call to worship Uh, for the Mademoiselle. I beg your pardon? Mademoiselle, I've never been married, but feel free to call me Vianne. I do hope you'll stop by when I open for business next week. Yes. Yes, opening a patisserie during the Holy Lenten fast, I could imagine better timing. Oh, but it's not going to be a patisserie. Then what do you intend to... It's a surprise. It was sweet of you to drop by. The Comte de Renault was a student of history, and therefore a patient man. He trusted the wisdom of generations past. Like his ancestors, He watched over the little village and led by his own example. Hard work, modesty, self-discipline. Not angry, Monsieur le Comte? The London fast, Madame Rivet. Are you not supposed to eat something? It's all right, leave it. We can all identify with that incredible passion. We're hungry. We're hungry to eat. We're hungry for sex. We're hungry for fulfillment. And that's what the Apostle Paul talked to us in Galatians chapter 5. He talks about the works of the flesh are evident which are these. And he's been talking to us about the fruit of the Spirit. He closes the fruit of the Spirit after he talks to us about love, joy, and peace. He talks to us about the next three, love, joy, and peace. He talks to us about patience. He talks to us about kindness and goodness. Then last week we talked about the need for faithfulness and the need for gentleness. And now he closes 
with the need for self-control. It's really interesting. The Apostle Paul hardly ever uses this word, and yet if I were teaching you in the first century as a group of Greek and Roman students, this would be my number one word. This would be my number one lesson. Because in the ancient world, self-mastery, the idea, the basic meaning of this word, literally the Greek word means that you have strength, you have power over yourself. And the Romans considered this an especially important virtue. The wise person, the person that had it together, the politician that had it together, the, the philosopher that had it together, the person that had it together was a person that could control those desires. They could make a very strict decision. I'm not going to eat for so much time. For example, Socrates, the great Greek philosopher, would go for days on end without eating, much longer than this mayor of the town. And he would control himself. And all over the Greek world, they knew of his incredible abilities to be able to endure hardship in his body. Socrates also taught that you needed to train your mind. And then Plato comes along, and then his student Aristotle actually trains Alexander the Great. And Alexander the Great is taught from the time that he's 13 years of age until the time that he's 16 years of age in all the wisdom of the greatest mind of his day, which was Aristotle. Aristotle said that you need to look carefully at the created world. You need to make careful observations about it. You need to not just have your mind in the sky. You need to have your mind right here in the earth. And he was the beginning of what eventually became modern science. He's one of the greatest minds of the ancient world, and people still study him today. Alexander the Great, this young teenager, drank deeply at his, at his philosopher teacher. And he learned those lessons, and he went on to use those skills to conquer the world. And basically, Aristotle was saying two things. Number one, Aristotle said you need to learn to control your mind, you need to control your thoughts. And number two, you need to control your body, you need to discipline yourself physically. Let's talk about a couple of those things. What about controlling your mind? As you think about developing self-discipline in your life, almost all of you would say, in fact, if you go to a counselor, all of you, you know, probably will need to do that at some time in your life, either a counselor at school or maybe a counselor at university or maybe you have a little trouble in your marriage and you need to go for a counselor, I want to encourage you to do that. Be sure you choose the right one. But basically the counselor, most of the time in our day, is going to use what we call cognitive therapy. What do we mean by cognitive therapy? What we mean is cognitive is what happens in your head. Cognitive therapists believe that what's wrong with you, you have the wrong ideas in your head. That's a very Greek idea. You have the wrong thoughts. So what we need to do is we need to reprogram you. Your mind's like a computer. Garbage in equals garbage out. So what we need to do is to drain the bad thoughts out of you and change your false scenario inside and put right thoughts in. And then, just like a computer, if we get rid of the garbage, we put in really good stuff, then good stuff will come out. And it's called cognitive therapy. It has to do with your mind, and it's a very powerful kind of counseling. In fact, all of you will be exposed to some of those techniques sometime in your life. And that's basically what Aristotle taught. You get the right ideas in your head, and you're going to live right. Now, is that true? Well, I want you to know that some of that's very biblical. 
fact, if you turn in your Bibles to Romans 12, 1 and 2, we're going to find that the Apostle Paul believed that it was very important what you put into your mind. Romans 12, 1 and 2, and in order to get the right thoughts into your mind, you're going to have to have self-discipline in any field, whether it's chemistry or whether it's math, whether it's, it's poetry, whatever field you're in, in order for you to get the right ideas inside of you, it's going to take self-discipline. The Apostle Paul says this, Therefore, I urge you, my brothers and sisters, in view of God's incredible mercy to you, his unmerited favor to you, the fact that he's let you off based upon Romans 1 through 3, and that Jesus has justified you by faith, you've experienced God's mercy. What I want you to do, Paul says, in in response to that, is to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual service of worship. Now look at the next verse, because it gets into the meat of how do you do that. How do you present your body as a living sacrifice? He says this, Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world. What's the pattern of this world? The pattern of the world are those desires of your flesh. In chocolate... As the story develops, she's going to put in a chocolate store and make the most exquisite chocolates imaginable. And chocolate is a symbol for all the good tastes in life. It's going to give you the history of how chocolate came into France and how one of her ancient ancestors went over and he went to, the, to Brazil and he went into the exotica of Brazil and he found the coffee bean and then the chocolate, the ability to create chocolate. And it, it's all mixed in with this incredible intoxicating pleasure he has with this young woman who's this exquisite beauty and he has sex with her and then they're married and this is the beginning of the factory, and it's all this, uh, of, of the chocolate story. And she comes to France with him, and she eventually wanders all over France, spreading the news of chocolate. Chocolate becomes a symbol of your taste, your desires, all the sweet things that you want. And what chocolate is saying is that the church is standing against all that. And the church is saying, deny your taste, deny your pleasures, deny all the sweet things, and hold them down. And the film says, that's a terrible thing to say. Instead, what you need to do is you need to express those things. You need to experience those things. You hear that all the time. Seize the day. Is that kind of an idea? Go for it. Just try it. Those are all expressions of give in to your desires. What the Apostle Paul says is don't let yourself conform to this present world. In every one of your personalities, there are thinking patterns, incredible desires that are being expressed like a message in your mind constantly that are dead or wrong. They're not in touch with reality. They're a lie. They're going to destroy you. And yet one side of your culture is telling you, oh, no, it won't. That's who you really are. That's what you need to do. Taste and see that your desires are good. The Apostle Paul says, no, you need to not conform. Don't let the world press you into its mold. But instead, you need to renew your mind. You need a regenerated mind. When you were born again, Jesus sent his spirit to live inside of you. And he wants to constantly change your mind. He wants to give you new thoughts. He wants to give you new perspective. So you are transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? Look what it says. Because God wants you to discover what will take away all the good things, all the, the incredible tastes in life, the beauty in life, the music in life, the dance in life, all that will be taken away from you because God's the Scrooge of heaven. Is that what it says? 
No, it says that you might prove what God's will is, that which is good, that which is pleasing, that which is perfect. How many of you would like to live a life that's good, that's pleasing? That's what all of you are searching for. This is the life that we want to live. What Paul is saying is that one of the ways that we're going to get there is by letting Jesus Christ, through his Spirit, change the way that we think. Human beings try to change the way you think. Does it work? Well, Alexander the Great took Aristotle's thought, who's one of the greatest philosophers that ever lived. He started marching his armies. He conquered the world. He moved into what's now modern-day Turkey, demolished the armies of Persia. He kept on coming, demolished all the enemies that opposed him. He ended up arriving in Babylon, set up his Greek rule over Babylon. That wasn't enough. He kept marching all the way into India, conquered what was ancient India. And then he came back to Babylon. He had conquered the then-known world. He was ruling the four corners of the world. He was in his early 30s. He had a big banquet. And in that banquet, you know what they did? They ate till they were ready to puke. And in that banquet, they did what they often did in the ancient Near East. They had a lot of sexual immorality. It was a great big orgy. And Alexander the Great indulged the last, remember the works of the flesh, orgies and drunkenness. And it's this banqueting. The word that was used there is this idea of banqueting. Alexander the Great did that last work of the flesh. He got very ill after that banquet, and 10 days later, he was gone. He was dead. The man that ruled the world, that mastered the world, couldn't master himself. And it shows us that just cognitive therapy without the power of Jesus' Holy Spirit is not going to be enough. The very first thing I want to get across to you today I want you to understand that there's elements of truth in a lot of things you're exposed to. Aristotle was on to something. He wasn't completely wrong. It is true that you need to have the right thoughts in your mind, but the problem is our mind, without Jesus, it has a twist in it. It's distorted. It doesn't come up with the right solutions. And also, even when it has the right thoughts, it doesn't have the power to implement those thoughts. How many of you have ever said, I know this is right. I know it's good. I know I shouldn't go for another plate of turkey and dressing and and all that gravy. I know I should stop right here. That's the self-control thing you do. How many of you ate another plate? Because we don't rely upon the Holy Spirit. And that's what we need to get really serious about at the church family. Now, as I talked about renewing your mind, I want to stress to you, some of you haven't opened your Bible since I taught you the last time. Now, that's not going to work. Some of you haven't even looked at your Bible since I taught you a week ago. And you're just playing at this. If you were pilots, you would crash and burn. Because as a pilot, every single day, every time you fly, you look at your checklist. Stuff that you've done over and over and over again. You constantly look at that checklist. And those of you that are in the airline industry, you constantly have to go back and you're constantly studying. Why? Because people's lives depend upon what you're doing. Some of you say, well, Dave, you know, my, my life with Christ is failing. It's just not going anywhere. And I'm going to share with you why it isn't. Because you're not 
letting Jesus renew your mind in his word. You're not opening his word. You're not letting your heart be quiet before him, and you're not letting him talk to you. There's no excuse for you not to renew your mind. But if I were to ask you as a congregation, how many of you are really doing this? A whole lot of you aren't doing it. You say, well, I don't have time to do that. Yes, you do. How many hours did you spend watching Chocolate? How many, movie did you, did you, how many hours did you spend watching Pride and Prejudice, which is a great movie? As young people, as children, as adults, you're spending tons of times having your mind powerfully affected by the media. How many hours do you spend watching TV? How many hours do you spend on your, on your, on your, on your computer? It's just not true. I hear all the time, we're too pressured today. Oh, no, you're not. You're not too pressured. You have tons of time. So do I. And we're not going to have the fruit of the Spirit generated in our life until we get serious about what we put into our head. And our church family looks a lot like the church of Corinth right now. A whole lot of you are immoral. Lots of drunkenness destroying families. Tons of deceit. And a ton of anger. In fact, Mary said to me, hey, we don't need a children's pastor. We need a full-time counselor. You all are keeping the counselors throughout this whole area busy. We could do it just with Midlothian Bible Church. You know why? Because you don't have any self-control. You're just playing. You don't open up God's Word. It'll start to reprogram your mind. Because your actions do start with what you think. What you think in your head, what you visualize in your head, eventually gets in your hands and feet. And Paul is telling us really clearly, you need to discipline your mind. So Aristotle wasn't completely wrong. We do change our lives and transform our lives as we renew our minds. What he missed was it needs to be connected with this incredible person called Jesus and his living Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. The next thing the Greeks were really into as they thought about self-control is the need for self-control in athletics. T.O. Owens that plays for the Philadelphia Eagles. And Owens is really, he's a great wide receiver. If, if when it comes to weightlifting, when it comes to, you know, to running those patterns really carefully, when it runs to knowing the plays, you know, T.O. does everything great. The only problem is he's not going to play anymore for the Philadelphia Eagles this year. Why? Because he can't control his mouth. You can't, on an NFL football team, you can't go on a radio talk show as you're making a drive towards winning your division and say that the Green Bay Packers quarterback is a million times better than your quarterback. Not when you're a wide receiver. And that's what he did. And that was the final straw. The coach had had it. He'd gone into the locker room and, and challenged every, all these linemen to a fight. A lot of the Philadelphia sports writers would say they wish one of those 350-pound linemen that presses about 600 pounds would have stood up and grabbed T.O. by the arm and lifted him up in the air and said, okay, I'll fight you. He has no self-discipline. 
He has no mastery over himself. And what you're going to see, unless he gets a hold of that, you're going to see a man with incredible talent, a man that's disciplined himself, he's going to be put on the shelf. All that talent and all that ability is not going to be able to bring the glory that an NFL career should bring. The Apostle Paul picked up on that idea as well. Turn to 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul talks to us about uh, this need to run a race in athletics. Paul loved to use athletics. Evidently, he would have, if he lived today, I think he would have liked the Cowboys and been involved because he loved to talk about wrestling. He loved to talk about boxing. And he loved to talk about running. In fact, in Corinth, when he wrote, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, when he was running to the Corinthians, he was speaking to them about a race and about boxing. The Isthmian games were held just about seven or eight miles outside the city of Corinth. In 1 Corinthians 9, the Apostle Paul uses that as an illustration. As we get to the end of this chapter in verse 24, the final paragraph begins like this. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body. He says, I, the idea here is I, I make my body hurt, which every athlete knows you have to do. Make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. I will not be put on the shelf. I want you to see, he says, everyone who competes for the games goes into strict training. That word, the NIV translated strict training, is our word for self-discipline. So the Apostle Paul picks up on the Greek idea. You do need to have this quality in your life. And part of having this quality, you can look to athletics and you can see that runner. You can watch Tim Wallace running four or five miles every single day. And you can be inspired by that. That's what it takes in order to be healthy physically. It's going to take that same mastery of your passions and doing it when you don't feel like it. Your society constantly tells you, if you don't want to do it, don't do it. Where teachers are taught, if the students don't want to do it, it's your fault. You need, to, you need to make it so much fun and so tasty that they'll enjoy it. For some things, that's just not true. In any field that you're in, you're going to have to be willing to take some pain. The same thing's true in your spiritual life. You're going to have to learn that you drive on when you don't think you get it. Some of you are saying, Dave, when I open up this book, I don't understand anything. That's why I don't read it. And what you need to do, you're going to need to learn to read when you don't understand. Because if you'll discipline yourself to read when you don't understand, you're going to find out that all of a sudden it starts coming together. Because that's the way it is in any field that you study. If I, if I start you out in chemistry, most of you wouldn't understand any of it. And one of my mentors in college told me my freshman year, Steve Copeland said, Dave, as a young freshman chemistry student, the most important advice I can give you is for you to discipline yourself and study when you can't understand anything. And boy, that was wide advice. The same thing to be true of your time in the Word of God. Sometimes it's going to seem like there's just a, a steel curtain. You're not getting anything. And the Apostle Paul says, but if you'll, if you'll keep at it, 
if you'll discipline yourself like an athlete, if you'll let the Holy Spirit begin to control your desires, you're not just expressing your desires, but you're learning to control your desires by the power of the Holy Spirit. So you spend time in his word. You spend time in prayer. You spend time in community with other believers. You spend time seeking to get the gospel out. The Apostle Paul in this particular passage is really focused on the gospel. He's saying, I'm disciplining my life so that I might reach more people for Christ. His entire life is focused on that goal line to lead people to Christ. That's the point of this passage. The apostle Peter joined the apostle Paul. Then 1 Peter chapter 1, 2 Peter chapter 1, he said you need to add to your faith knowledge, and then right after knowledge, he said you need to add to your faith self-control. The two go together in order to grow in your knowledge. And then the apostle Peter ends where the apostle Peter, Paul began the fruit of the Spirit. The apostle Paul ends it with brotherly love towards one another and with self-sacrificial love in our relationships together and our relationship with the Lord, our agape love for one another. But in the middle of that all, he says you need to add to your faith knowledge and you need to add the way you're going to do that is by growing in this attribute of self-control. Titus chapter 1 says, any spiritual leader in our church any spiritual leader in our church needs to have self-discipline. And so that's one of the major attitudes. And, and our church leaders are just expressions of fathers. Every one of you as fathers set the tone for whether or not your home's going to have order, whether it's going to have discipline, whether there's going to be what I like to call not self-control, but Christ-control, because that brings us back to Galatians 5. The incredible thing that I love about the Apostle Paul that he really said, pretty similar to what Aristotle said, your mind does control the way you live. You got to get the right thoughts in. The Apostle Paul agreed. It's going to take control of your body. And the Apostle Paul doesn't tell you that you need to hold your passions down. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 7, that some of you looked at in your life and focus, the Apostle Paul says, in, in, if you're a young person, and you're going with a young, you know, young person, and you're passionately feeling these incredible desires for sexual fulfillment, the Apostle Paul says the answer for that is to get married. Not to stay single, but the answer for sexual passion is marriage. As a church family, we need to really tell our kids that. Marriage is the place where after two believers fall in love that they're to find that fulfillment, and they're not to wait year after year after year and live together and not be married. The Lord wants them to get married, and that becomes the holy place where they can fulfill their desires. So the Apostle Paul is not what we call ascetic. He's not resisting desire. But the incredible thing the Apostle Paul adds is the fruit of the Spirit. If you live by the power of the Holy Spirit, you won't, over, you won't fulfill the desires of the flesh. Now, here's what a lot of you are going to do. A lot of you are going to try to control your passions by your own thoughts, or by your own self-discipline. And that's what religion's going to tell you. And if you make that choice, you choose, I'm going to live by my own self-discipline and by my own internal compass. And some of you that are the most disciplined that try to hold down those passions through your own strength, this is what's going to happen. Let's watch. All my efforts have been for nothing. I've suffered willingly. I've fasted. I've hardly eaten for weeks now. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. My, my suffering is nothing. It's just I, I feel so lost. I don't know what to do. Tell me what to do. 
The Count left the church, broke into the confectionery, and climbed into the front window. He began violently attacking the chocolate display, tempted by a small bite. He yielded to the seduction and gorged his unsatiable appetite. The Lord Jesus came to set us free from that agony. He called to help us so that we don't have to go back and forth between trying to resist the chocolate and then eating it till we die. Instead, the sweet Holy Spirit wants to come into our life and he wants to give us not self-control, but Christ's control. Let's pray. Some of you are in that tug of war. You have a new person inside of you that wants to do what the Lord wants you to do, but you also have an old person that's seeking to destroy you. And some of you have been trying to control it by obeying a lot of rules and setting up performance standards for yourself, and you've experienced what chocolate brought out, that when you give things up for Lent, you end up having it just explode and your appetites take over and the pendulum swings from denial to total indulgence and the Lord wants to set you free from that. But you've got to let the Holy Spirit control. This is our last fruit of the Spirit. And the Apostle Paul is challenging the Galatians. The Galatians church was filled with immorality the Galatian church was filled with people that worshipped idols and people that were involved in the occult and drugs. The Galatian church was facing a complete breakdown in interpersonal relationships. People were angry with each other. The Apostle Paul even pictured them as being like wild dogs that were biting and devouring each other. Their homes were just being destroyed, their relationships were being destroyed. There were many in the Galatian church that were going out to the Greek festivals and the orgies and the drunkenness. He wouldn't have talked about those things if they weren't very real temptations and real actions that were taking place in the church. There was a great temptation for them to try to solve the problem by setting up a lot of religious rules. In their case, putting themselves under the whole Judaic system of the Mosaic Law. The Apostle Paul said, no. We've got to go back to the cross. Jesus died to set us free. Jesus died because our sins will destroy us. They're the, the wages of sin is death. But then he rose again to open our life to a completely new, resurrected kind of a life. Who's in control of your life? Who's driving? If you hear the Holy Spirit inside of you saying, please let me take control. 
Stop trying to do it yourself. Let me help you to have a yearning for God's word. Let me help you to have a passion to talk and to pray. Let me set you free from your lies and from your illicit desires that are destroying you. Brothers and sisters, this is serious. Some of you are going to be are going to lose your physical life. You're going to destroy your emotional health because you're living in a big vat of Satan's chocolate and you have diabetes and it's going to destroy you. Jesus instead wants to give you a resurrected life. Even if you've already come to know Jesus as your Savior, you can walk away from him. Paul was really concerned that he would be put on the shelf. He would be disqualified. He didn't mean he would lose his salvation, but he meant that he could lose his place of usefulness in proclaiming the gospel. I don't want any of you to be on the sidelines when it comes to loving the Lord Jesus and proclaiming his name. If you hear the Holy Spirit's voice, will you say to him very quietly, deep within, yes, Lord Jesus. I'm going to let you not only be my Savior, but I want you to be my Lord. I want your spirit to be the spirit that controls my life, that gives me the strength, not my own strength, of self-mastery, but I want Christ's mastery. I want to grow. I'm going to accept your grace, and I want to let your Holy Spirit help me to grow in these fruit. If you'd like to have prayer with somebody about who's going to control your life or maybe about some of the issues of the flesh that you might be wrestling with or, or maybe just the need for encouragement, some of our elders and deacons and their wives will be up here in the front, those that are able to, uh, because they don't have other responsibilities. Feel free as we, as we close this service to come on up, and the library is also available where you could have a time to be able to let the Holy Spirit really work in your life. Well, Lord Jesus, I thank you for the power of the fruit of the Spirit. And even as I've shared with my own church family about the need for Christ's control, Lord, I want to ask you that you would give me that Christ's control. And I pray that I will join my brothers and sisters on this journey towards becoming the image of Christ that you desire us to be. Lord, I pray that many of my brothers and sisters will leave here and walk by the Spirit's power so that this week they will not carry out the desires of their sin nature. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.